0: Parents, uh, welcome back to The Journey. This is Dan Benetti, and I've got my good friend Connor Bales, who actually happens to be the pastor at the North Campus uh, of Preston Baptist Church. So, Connor, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you very much, Dan. Look forward to having a conversation with you today.
0: Yes, and it's actually a conversation about um, your book that you just released. It's called Counted Worthy, A Father's Perspective on the Theology of Suffering. Uh, and really, it's a it's a very um, intimate book uh, as a as kind of like a, a look into your life and the journey that you and Mary and your family have been on uh, for the last few years. Um, and so, um, you know, I just wanted to kind of um, have you talk a little bit about the book and about the journey and about some of the things that you've learned that I think are super helpful uh, that we can learn in the process as well. Um, sort of as we um, as we all in a sense have a similar journey um, about suffering and just kind of what role does that play and how should we uh, understand that, right? Uh, as we worship a good God who is a powerful God who can do so many things, but yet uh, he allows suffering to be part of the narrative, um, you know, really in, in a sense in everybody's life, but sometimes it's more profound in some people's life um, that we really need to kind of step back and say, what does this mean? What can we learn from it? And so I'm, I'm thrilled that you actually wrote the book. Um, I know it is probably uh, in a sense um, a difficult journey to just kind of go through and, and write and to share about some of the, the things as you talk about um, just reliving some of those experiences on your own. Um, but I'm just I'm glad you shared that and I know many people will be blessed uh, because of it. So for those parents who don't know you and a little bit about your story, can you give us kind of a, a brief summary um, of, of your life and Mary and your family and how we got to this point?
1: Sure. Yeah. Mary and I have been married 21 years. Uh, we have five incredible kids. My oldest is a senior uh, at PCA Plano, and my uh, number two is a freshman uh, at PCA North. My third and fourth, uh, Libby and Hannah, are 13 and 10 years old, and both in the active learning classroom at Prosper ISD. And my youngest is a second grader at PCA North. And uh, Mary and I uh, had what I define in the book as kind of a charmed life. Uh, we were college sweethearts. We got married after graduation and, uh, began our life, uh, together. And, uh, and I was not in ministry, uh, initially my undergraduate degrees in landscape architecture. So we came to the Dallas area, practiced for 10 years, got very involved in a church. Uh, God was growing my business. He was growing our family. He was growing and deepening our faith. And, uh, I felt called to the ministry after five years, uh, uh, and, uh, and uh, didn't know how to navigate that, so kind of put that on pause. Our family was growing, and we were staying very busy and active, and in uh, 2008, uh, Mary gave birth uh, to our third child, Libby, and immediately at Libby's birth, we knew something wasn't right, and, um, and so the doctors rushed in, more doctors rushed in, and there was a lot of conversation among themselves. Nobody was talking to us, and so very quickly, mm. they took Libby uh, uh, to the NICU, and a few hours later, I was able to see her and they began to tell me some of the things they had discovered, which was a congenital heart defect and uh, some malformation of her feet and just some things that were quite alarming. In addition to that, she had difficulty breathing and some other things that was needing extra attention. And so it was very different for us from uh, Catherine and Coleman's uh, experience. And so Mary and I then kind of began navigating a new normal with a child that was medically fragile. While Libby was in the hospital, the doctors recommended some uh, genetic testing uh, based on some things they had seen, and uh, and so we agreed to that. and uh, And when Libby was uh, ten weeks old, uh, she required heart surgery. And while recovering from heart surgery, uh, um, we got the results of her genetic uh, findings, and we were told she had a very rare chromosomal abnormality called trisomy 16p. And the geneticist told us that the condition was so rare and so severe that if we had not already had her heart repaired, she would probably advise against it. Mm-hmm. And we'd go home and make her comfortable because she would not outlive her infancy. And, uh, and so obviously, you can imagine as a dad, uh, uh, that derailed us and our understanding of uh, what uh, life with our little girl was going to be. Uh, and so it, it took us a little while to figure out uh, what we were going to do from there, but, but pretty quickly Mary and I decided as long as God had entrusted her to us, we were going to do everything in our power that we could possibly afford to provide a life of flourishing and opportunity, um, and so we kind of jumped in with therapists and doctors and specialists, and, uh, and, uh, and so we began to navigate this new normal, now having this child with these significant disabilities and, and special needs, medically fragile, and uh, also with an older brother and sister who are totally typical in every way. Mm. And uh, it took us a few years. And uh, and as a, a follower of Jesus who was trying to navigate a calling into the ministry, when uh, we received Libby's diagnosis, I asked all of the logical and rational questions of why. I could not understand why God would allow this to happen. Um, I, I could not understand why he would allow this to happen to Libby. And I I just couldn't reconcile how God was good. And this was clearly so bad. Right. And, and so it took a long time for us to uh, begin to navigate that. And I think, I think the Lord began to slowly give me some clarity. Um, And one day I was reading John chapter nine, and this was when Libby was almost three years old. And in John chapter nine, the Bible records a story of, of Jesus and his disciples encountering a man who was born with the condition of blindness And the disciples asked Jesus logically, rationally, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born this way? Mm -hmm. It's the same question I had been asking for years. I I just been asking Jesus, who messed up? Like what happened? Mary's pregnancy was normal. Uh, There were no complications in utero. There was no indication of anything wrong. We have done everything we thought was right. Spiritually speaking, we're faithfully serving, we're generously giving. I'm submitting to a call to the ministry. Like what happened here? And Jesus answered his disciples and said, neither this man nor his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then if you keep reading the story, 30 something verses later, Jesus uh, makes mud, wipes it on the man's eyes, tells him to go and wash and his sight is restored. But the declaration of God's workmanship was made prior to the healing having ever taken place. And what I discovered was that God was going to work in Libby's life regardless of whether or not the healing came on this side of eternity or the other. And that began this understanding for me that God is always good. And yes, life is still going to have things that are quite bad. And, uh, and then as you know, Dan, after Libby was about three years old, we got pregnant again with Hannah and Mary had a totally typical pregnancy, although she did get a lot of additional testing and a lot of prenatal care because of her older sister's condition and on October 31st, 2011, Hannah was born, and uh, and although she did not have any of the complications as her older sister, Libby, Mary and I never felt quite right, and so uh, we had her tested um, at the doctor's uh, recommendation, and we found out on December 2nd of that year that Hannah was a mathematical impossibility, mm-hmm. and uh, that she was a genetic twin of her older sister, Libby, and uh, And that despite the, uh, the, the impossibilities um, that we had two children that were uh, exactly genetically the same. And I remember we were devastated and destroyed all over again, you know, sitting in that pediatrician's office as he read the results. He, he in fact told us the director of the laboratories called him directly because they were convinced the results were wrong and they had run the test twice. So everybody was in shock. The doctor's crying, we're crying. And uh, and we finally gather ourselves enough to leave the doctor's office without freaking out all the other parents who were just there for a well check. And when we get our, to the car and we're about to head home, um, before I turn the ignition over, I felt very clearly God speak to my spirit. And he said, I have counted you worthy to get to do this twice. And uh, I turned to Mary and said, here's what God just told me. And she said, I, I feel the same thing. And, um, and that changed our perspective that we understand now that God has counted us worthy to steward the suffering that is the, the life and the care for Libby and Hannah Bales. And uh, everybody suffers. Uh, just not all our suffering is the same. But I think when we g- gain the perspective of having been counted worthy, then it, then it allows us to steward whatever the suffering is, believing that God is going to use it as the scriptures declare for good and uh, and helps you to navigate the tension that the Bible seems to reveal, which is how God is always good and how life is sometimes pretty obviously bad and uh, so and then a few years after that uh, uh, the greatest surprise of my life uh, was Campbell Bales and she came on the scene she's totally typical in every way God, was so gracious to give us a fifth child. And, uh, and so we have these two miracles in the middle and then these three incredible kids, um, that are the bookends, uh, and that's the
0: busyness of the bales. Yeah. Well, I, I, um, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, and that's really the, the story of your book. Um, just that journey that you uh, and Mary went on, uh, through that process. Um, but I don't want to, I don't want to read necessarily your book back to you, but there's some really neat statements that you made in the book. Uh, One of the things that I loved and really, really appreciated is how um, you pulled in from a number of different authors, um, things that they had shared. So from, you know, Johnny Erickson Tata, which is probably something that uh, a lot of us uh, know her story, um, you know, you pulled in from Randy Alcorn, you pulled in from Matt Chandler, Stephanie Hubach, so there's a lot of different people that you have um, pulled some of the the great statements uh, as you've wrestled with some of these things uh, as well, um, but in, in chapter six, one of the quotes that you pulled in was uh, from Johnny Erickson Tata. Uh, And I just, I want to read it and I want your comment on it. Um, But it says this, um, she says, quote, says, this is the good news for the suffering soul. The son of God did not exempt himself from affliction, but lived through it and learned from it. And I thought that was just so profound um, that as you um, have kind of wrestled with the idea of uh, suffering and what role that it plays, right? One of the things that you've kind of pulled out of it and you shared in your book is just how important it is. Uh, In the Christian life, to to actually wrestle with this concept that that God uses difficulties, trials, tribulations, suffering, hardship to actually mold us into the shape of His Son and draw us closer to Him, Uh, and I and I love that. That's kind of I think maybe the point of the book uh, isn't just to tell your story, but in some way to help everybody kind of work through this on their own. So whatever journey you're on. Uh, that you've got to make that that same wrestle. You've got to come to that same conclusion that you've got a good God, uh, and you've got a lot of things that are going uh, wrong in a sense in the world around you, uh, and you've got to you got to make those things make sense. Um, so, what what would you say uh, to the parent uh, that really hasn't come to that conclusion yet? Um, they yeah. see suffering uh, as more of an evidence that God doesn't exist, or that God doesn't love them, or in a sense that you you know you pulled out from your story that they've done something wrong, sure. uh, and if they if they only did something right you know, God would make that situation okay.
1: So I would say, first of all, I can appreciate that and uh, empathize with it. And I think the scriptures even are not silent on the reality that there's going to be a wrestling with that. If you just read the Psalms, um, the Psalms are some of the most honest literature we have that speak Mm. to the the difficulty of a life in a broken world. But the the truth is uh, that suffering is not um, um, avoidable everybody experiences. And, and I think what we do is we steal the, uh, the ability to learn from it when we attempt to compare our suffering with that of someone else. And, and uh, in, in so doing, so if a child has autism and another child has uh, a learning difference uh, like dyslexia and another child just ha- happens uh, to have a club foot and is unable to compete athletically, uh, when we try to compare, well, you have it so much worse, or your child has it so much harder, or uh, my child has it worse than yours, then we're not only forfeiting what God might be doing in us through that stewarding of suffering, but we're diminishing what he's doing in someone else, because we're attempting to say it's either harder or easier than ours, and yeah. I, I think that's a danger that we run into as parents, um, and, and so I would just encourage um, uh, your your families and your listeners that be reminded that uh, uh, your sufferings are for you for your purpose that God has for your life. In fact, when Paul writes to the church in Rome and, in Romans eight eighteen, he says, "I consider that the sufferings of this present time." So, this was a brother who had been beat up, shipwrecked. He had been scourged. He had been uh, stoned. I mean, and he had experienced great suffering for the cause of Christ. And he said, I think about it, like I consider that the present sufferings, he's he's somebody who's giving an account for it. And if Paul was willing to stop and think about what God might be doing through his suffering, then I wonder how often when we fail to stop and think about what God is doing through ours, we're forfeiting some of the benefit that comes from it. Um, and, and so suffering is... Is shared. Everybody experiences it, but it's not the same. So we can
0: we we're free not to have to compare ours with anyone else. Yeah. Now you also wrote that um, a person can't truly understand the meaning and significance of suffering without a proper perspective of eternity. What What did you mean by that?
1: Yeah. So again, I would say uh, that if you just think about that verse Romans eight eighteen, Paul says, "I consider that the present sufferings are not worth comparing." to the eternal glory. So suffering is for now, right? It's the consequence of life in a world which is broken by sin. Mm-hmm. But eternity is forever. And and John got actually uh, the apostle John actually got a vision of what that forever was going to be. And in in Revelation chapter 21 when Jesus showed up in this man's dream, he begins to paint a picture of what that forever was going to be. And then he tells John, "Hey, write this down." And so the reason why Jesus would tell John, I think, to write it down for us on this day is so that we would have something to hold on to with anticipation of that day. And in Revelation chapter 21, he says there's a day coming where he's going to wipe away every single tear, where there will be no death and there'll be no mourning and there'll be no sadness and there'll be no suffering. And on that day, we'll get to experience the glory, the goodness, the eternal joy that is life with God. And so we can hold on to that day on this day, being totally honest that it might be really, really hard. And that hard is going to show up in relationships, in financial difficulty, in challenges with children in the loss of loved ones. Um, and, and, And yet on this day, when we're navigating these things, we get to look with anticipation for that day when God will put them all to rest. So yeah.
0: Now I know uh, in talking to you and Mary um, just in passing uh, about um, you know, your family and the situation that there have been some people who have said um some well-intentioned um things mm-hmm. that have not been received right. I mean, you, you, re- you received them well, but it was just the, the wrong thing to say. It, it, it didn't go well. But you know what? There's also been some people who have come alongside uh and just blessed your family in a in a way um that is kind of like an unexpected. So um talk to our parents, uh, and not just about your family, but if you see a, a person going through a difficult time, um, yeah. as opposed to saying something that might be considered like, Ooh, that, you know, you don't really understand it. What, what have some people done for your family that you might recommend to some parents to say, Hey, this is a great way to bless somebody going through a difficult time.
1: So I would say two things. One, if, if you encounter someone with a family that has an individual with a significant disability or some type of special need, mm-hmm. uh, I would encourage all of your listeners, anytime you see that family, if you are able to stop down and honor the person with the disability and Mm. then celebrate the family that is uh, choosing to take them to the restaurant or has them out in public at the sporting event, I can't tell you how many times somebody has said to me, you have the most beautiful family Mm. and then they walk off and, but what a kindness to see my girls and honor them and, and show value to my family. I would say that when you, want to give a word of encouragement to someone who is navigating any season of suffering, regardless of what that suffering has to be. I think the three most powerful things you can say are, I'm so sorry. This is awful. And I love you. Hmm. In fact, uh, I have a friend of mine on staff who's lost his spouse this last week and I've texted him every other day. And all I've said is I'm so sorry. And this is awful and I love you. And I don't expect a response, um, even though he is usually kind enough to say thank you or to uh, to like the text. But um, I think that there is freedom when you realize that the Bible does all the heavy lifting, and you and I simply can just love people in the midst of their pain. And we don't have to try to say something to assuage it. We don't have to say something to minimize it or to ignore it. We can just because the moment you say, uh, I'm so sorry, you've immediately endeared yourself to the sufferer because you've acknowledged empathetically that it hurts, that -hmm. there's pain involved. They've lost a loved one. They're in a financial crisis. I'm so sorry that you're going through this. And then when you say this is awful, then you're validating what it is that they're having to endure, even if especially if it's different than what you've had to endure. Right. And, And then when you just tell them, I love you. Then I don't love you for any reason. I just love you, and I want you to know that. And and so I, I would always encourage people to say
0: that. Those yeah. three. You, you did you did mention um, kind of in the sense of this particular current time period that we live in, uh, and we we live in a time uh, when your two daughters, right, Libby and Hannah, um, are kind of an abnormality in the fact that uh, that they're alive when mm. uh, most situations like theirs, um, doctors are recommending um, that obviously you know, women uh, have abortions. Um, and so that's kind of been seen in our culture uh, as a remedy to the problem, as opposed yeah. to allowing um, you know, that particular situation to draw us closer to Christ. So uh, as you um, had some time with your girls today and did some special Olympics activities and things like that, how can we as a culture um, in a sense still celebrate life Uh, when it seems like so much of our culture um, is moving against that idea that, you know, life uh, is only celebrated if it has value in what it does as opposed to who it is.
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And um, so I'll use an illustration uh, uh, to try to explain how I appreciate um, uh, the the issue of life, especially as it relates to my girls or anyone. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and, And so I I like music. I don't know anything about music, Dan, but I like to listen to music. And I know that there are really gifted men and women who know how to conduct and to uh, uh, orchestrate. And and so they know how to listen to, to different notes and different sounds, and they know what instruments make those notes and play those sounds. And then they know how to put them together in a way that is beautiful and harmonizes and makes the most symphonic melody that is pleasing to your ear and to mine. But all I know how to do is turn the radio on and just appreciate the sound, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, So I think there are certain instruments that are different than others. There may be some like the electric guitar is really cool, a lot of fun, gets a lot of play on the stage. There may be a tuba that is not as popular, sounds totally different and has a unique sound altogether that doesn't get out front quite as much. But when you hear uh, the orchestration of a great song that has put horns and strings and percussion and, and blended all these great sounds from all these wonderful instruments, nobody's going, oh, I I that would be better without the tuba or that would be better without the horns or that would be better without the string, right? What we're doing if we're genuine is we're just appreciating the beauty of the sound. Mm. And then the right response is to thank the artist that had the vision to put that together, to make the beautiful melody. That is the music you and I enjoy. Well, that's the way I think about God's creation. I think that as it relates to humanity, there are so many differences and some of the differences are trisomy 16p and some of the differences are in our color and our ethnic background. Some of the differences are male and female. Some of the differences are tall and short, green eyes and brown eyes and dark curly hair and really long blonde hair. And I just see beautiful music. And, and for me, when anytime you devalue a person simply because they are different from you, what you are doing, in my opinion, is I think you are uh, uh, assaulting, you are, you are taking a negative approach uh, opinion, holding a negative opinion of the artist who has orchestrated the beauty of the sound that his, his creation makes. And, uh, and so today, like Special Olympics, uh, there were so many students that are totally typical and completely healthy that were celebrating my girls that are totally non-typical and very medically fragile. And all I could hear in that gymnasium as my girls were trying to compete in their modified basketball skills competition was the sound of of heaven's music, that, that God has orchestrated this beautiful picture of all of our differences. And uh, and who am I to to wag my finger at the conductor and say that this sound is not as good as
0: that? Yeah, that's a beautiful way of putting it. So I think you and I would both agree that we definitely need more triangle. Right? <laughs> or cowbell. Yeah. More cowbell, more triangle. Those are the things that get left out. And yeah, yeah. so that, that'll take us back. Um, no, um, I do appreciate, uh, the book. I appreciate the time just to, uh, you know, to talk about it. Um, I know, uh, as you've, uh, as you've written in the book, uh, and shared, um, really so eloquent, I, I do like that you, um, you wrote a book that shared a lot in 150 pages. Um, so it is a, it is a readable book. Yeah. Um, you know, I think uh, our, our parents need to get it and read it and uh, and be able to share it with some others um, because that's the the one thing um, that we, in a sense, we all have in common as we go through uh, this particular journey here uh, is that we're all going to face and experience some trials and tribulations, some yeah. level of suffering, uh, and that actually is a great connector uh, to be able to uh, reach out and connect with other people and draw them to the cross because that's that's where the suffering makes sense. Um, I yeah. can't imagine right, going through this life without having, as you said, right, the perspective of eternity, um, a God uh, that has orchestrated all this and that makes all, all, you know, that this is all going to make sense, and whether it does here or whether it does in eternity. uh, We do have that hope that someday um, that we're going to be in a place where there isn't going to be any more suffering, that there isn't going to be any more tears, um, you know, where the blood of Christ has redeemed us and placed us in a, a position, right, where now we're standing before God and we get to see all of it in a sense, the way that he created it, as opposed to, you know, the, the effects that we've had on it through the fall. And so um, I think it's a great book to get and to, to share with other people, because that is uh, definitely a common denominator that we all have, uh, is just trying to figure out and, and wrestle with the idea of things that have, you know, not gone the way that we expected, um, you know, suffering or trials and tribulations that we've shared. So Connor, I appreciate you uh, sharing that. Any last word to our parents about this? Yeah, I would, I would just echo what you said, Dan. I think
1: I would encourage your listeners and your parents uh, in particular, God never wastes our pain. Mm-hmm. And so I believe it has purpose always, but it has to be understood in light of the gospel. And so yep. I, I tell people sometimes that um, uh, the reason I believe disability ministry is a gospel ministry is because sin has disabled all of us. Um, but Jesus took our disability on Calvary's cross. In fact, it was through the greatest suffering in all of human history that God brought about the greatest good. And and so when we understand uh, the the purpose that God has for our pain, um, then we might have some perspective that will allow us to be a better version of who he has called and in Christ equipped us to be as we seek to steward it and so if I can ever encourage these families I'm grateful for you and your friendship and your kindness so you sent me the nicest note uh when you read my book and uh I just appreciate it. I wrote it as a resource um I, I wrote it for the from the perspective of what would it be like if we had a really long cup of coffee yeah uh, so I hope it serves uh individuals and families and anyone because no one is exempt from suffering so amen
0: Connor I appreciate your time and appreciate you writing the book thanks brother